This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. But the urgency, I want to be, you know, I want to get some points. I mean, uh, it's a tough road trip so far. I think we've lost, what, five in a row, something like that? Four. Four in a row. So we got to battle back, and we got to start playing better hockey. I mean, I think we're playing good hockey, but it's not good enough to win right now. That's what it's all about. I mean, we got to come back and get some points here, and, you know, whatever it takes to win. I mean, uh, is there a little more urgency in everybody's game? That's what it's going to have to be. What is up? Welcome to the Golden Edge Podcast. I should say welcome back to the Golden Edge Podcast, and welcome back to hockey. Ben, it was a long break. But they are back at it out on the ice, the Golden Knights. We actually have hockey to talk about today. Yeah, exactly. Well, we didn't take a break. We were here last week. That's true. We grind. We we're grind. here for you, the people that is true. who keep us up the iTunes leaderboards in terms of most popular podcasts. I forgot to check today. Did you give it a look? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's my birthday, so this is how I choose to spend my mornings. Because once again, we're here for the people. We are. I believe we're at number three. Okay. We'll which take is, that. you know, my birthday wish to all you people out there listening. Get up to number two. There you go. Well, Silver's I mean, a lot better than bronze. You're not even dreaming that big. So, I mean, just let me just. I have happen. very realistic expectations. Make just that. like I have very realistic expectations for this hockey team. Wow. Good now that they came back off the break, lost two in a row, they are now losers of four in a row, a franchise losing streak in the regular season, a longest losing streak in the regular season. There may have been a postseason losing streak. That matched that, but I'm guessing fans don't want to hear us happened harp on that too right much. Right at the end of the season last year, at the end of the postseason? Allegedly. Allegedly happened at the end of uh, the season I remember last being year. That. And I remember it being attributed to a particular local band, too, blaming them for what what happened. Whatever it takes. I don't... <laughs> that's good. Thank you. Uh, I, remember, I remember all of that going down. I don't remember a band being blamed this time, but we will uh, get into what is going on with the Golden Knights on the ice. And as you said, the Golden Knights podcast, number three in the entire world, I think, according to us. And uh, according to the rankings, but make sure you subscribe and like and share and rate and do all those things wherever you get your podcast. And uh, so you can check us out each and every week when the podcast comes out. We are, once again, from the luxurious Review Journal Podcasting Studios. Uh, as we talk to you on this Tuesday afternoon, the Golden Knights, as you said, four straight losses. Tonight, a big game on tap. So if you're listening to us after that, just know we are. Uh, doing this before the Golden Knights play at the Lightning tonight on this Tuesday and on Ben's birthday. So we will uh, make sure that this is a, a tribute to Ben today. That is that's what we're doing. Uh, w- but as you said, back on the ice, the longest remaining road trip of the season is in progress, and it's not going well so far. No, it's been a really rough start, and I think especially you saw just the rust that this team had after a week off when they played the Carolina Hurricanes. Who, though, to be fair, the Carolina Hurricanes were also coming off their bye week. So both teams are coming off of equal rest. It wasn't like the Hurricanes had been playing and were necessarily sharper. But I think the Hurricanes definitely were sharper. Maybe part of that is they were playing at home. But they beat the Golden Knights 5-2. to two. That was Maxime Lagasse's 
first start of the season. Might be only start yeah. for a while based on how he played. And then they've got that tough back-to-back where the Knights then traveled to Florida, played the Panthers, lost 3-1. They are still eight points clear for third place in the Pacific Division, the Knights. But they are now 11 points back of first in the Calgary Flames. We talked about coming out of the break. This is an important four-game stretch for them in terms of putting themselves in a position for getting into a better spot in the standings now that they will have a bunch of home games coming up here. They have 16 home games remaining after this four-game road trip and only 10 road games. So that's an opportunity to make up points, but they're digging themselves a pretty big hole right now on this road trip. Yeah, they are. And we've talked about that, that the end of the season, the schedule sets up well. They've got a lot of divisional games, which they've done very well historically in divisional games. They've got a lot of home games, which, of course, they are still really, really good at home. So you've got that favorable schedule. But the other thing that we talked about is you can't just rely on that and say, well, we've got all these points coming up that we're going to build up. You've got to get yourself into the right position to be able to build off, uh, to set up that that stretch run. And the more you fall behind, uh, you're just falling more and more you know, behind that eight ball of, well, now you're going to need to win every single game, which then becomes a tall order, puts a lot of pressure on you every night. Uh, you don't want to be in that spot. So, uh, yes, they're still in an okay position. They're in third place. Uh, they're somewhat comfortable in terms of the division, but in terms of making the playoffs from the division, but in terms of winning the division and trying to, uh, we've talked about the importance of that. You want to avoid Calgary and San Jose in that first round. That means you have to win the division. That means you have to really, you know, start to take off and and build up, you know, some points here. And it just has not gone their way. Road trips, you usually want to get half the points available. So if it's a four game trip, you want to get four points. Right now, they're going to have to win both the remaining games to get to that level. So this is not how they wanted to start the trip, not how they wanted to come out of the break, especially after going into the break struggling a little bit. Uh, It seems like the losses are starting to wear on them a little bit in terms of kind of feeling the heat of needing to win. Right. And I think you're seeing some familiar themes creep back up, too, even from the beginning of the season when they kind of got off to a rough start of they're allowing, you know, to use a baseball analogy, the home run play. They're allowing breakaways on the road. They're having bad turnovers that are leading to golden opportunities for other teams. And they're taking advantage of them in tight wins for these opposing teams, just like the Florida Panthers got a breakaway, took the lead, and then had an empty net to win 3-1. And Gerard Gallant talked kind of about this home run problem after that loss. We can't do nothing about tonight or the last three games. We've got to get ready for the next game and play hard. We're going to play against the top team in the league in Tampa Bay, so it's going to be a battle, but uh, hopefully that'll get us uh, back to where we want to be. So you hear from Gerard Gallant there. I don't think there's panic necessarily for this team, but I, I do think the sense of urgency is starting to creep up a little bit more, and sometimes that can create good play where you're like, we have to win, we have to do it now, we have to take off, and sometimes it can wear on you and, and create bad play and that – you know, you start to think too much. I can't do this. I can't screw this up. I can't have a turnover here because it's going to be so costly. And that leads to actually making mistakes. So I think there's definitely some level of concern right now as to how they're playing and where they sit in the standings. Yeah, absolutely. And I do wonder if this team is kind of showing us that they are what their record says they are, which we've talked about this before. This is a very good hockey team that struggles against great hockey teams. They're 1-8 and eight as underdogs this year, coming into tonight's game against Tampa Bay Lightning. I believe that's accurate. They're 12th in goals scored, 9th in goals against. Good numbers, not great numbers. They are not numbers that stack up with the Calgary and San Jose's of the world right now, at least just in terms of their divisional rivals. This is a team that's beaten a lot of 
you know, mediocre to bad hockey teams to get some points, but they haven't beaten very many really good hockey teams to show that this team is poised for another run to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, and I think it, it it's something that comes down to expectations, as, as you're kind of alluding to there. If, if you would have said before last season, hey, at this point of season two, they're going to be in third place, they're going to be, you know, up there right around the top ten, both goal scored and goals allowed. They'll have a playoff berth basically on lock heading into the yeah. All-Star break. All of those things, I think – Going into season one, you would have said, wow, okay, unbelievable. Yeah, we'll take that right now. But because of the way they played last season, because of the expectations coming into the season with adding firepower with Stastny and Pacioretty and, you know, kind of filling in those pieces that everybody thought was like, okay, that's even taking you to the next step. Now, all of a sudden, you've created expectations, and this is falling short of where those expectations were. Yeah, and I think – a couple guys specifically are falling short of the expectations they even set for themselves up last year. I mean, we'll talk about that we've had some lineup shuffling going on, but I think the biggest issue for this team right now is they are not getting the play they need out of William Carlson and Jonathan Marchessault. That first line just has not been as productive as it needs to be. And the second line, as we've talked about often on this podcast, has been really, really good. Yeah. I think they're basically getting the return on investment they wanted from Max Pacioretty, from Paul Stasny as offseason acquisitions, and then from Alex Tuck as a guy they signed long-term before this season. Those guys are all performing basically at the level you would hope. What's been kind of disappointing, and I say disappointing, you know, it's kind of... Relatively. Relatively, based on where expectations were, because this is still a team, as we've said, that's got a playoff berth pretty much unlocked and are a very good, I would say, hockey team. But William Carlson and Jonathan Marshall last year... They were both about point-per-game guys. This year, they're getting about two-thirds a point per game. So their production has basically been cut in third offensively. And then defensively, together they were a plus 85 last year, which is insane. And this year, they're a minus 11. So you're talking about almost a 100-goal differential there in terms of plus-minus from last year to this year, which is just insanity. And you think if you add... 100 more goals to this team this year, they're in a lot better spot. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no question as far as that goes. And, you know, we have talked – you said – you referenced it. We've talked about it a lot. The second line has been productive. It's been very good. The problem becomes if the first line is not producing, that second line is essentially your first line. I mean, that's that's the one you're counting on to be productive, to get a lot of things done. And now you've got the first line by name in, as you said, you know, Marcheseau, Carlson – Riley Smith when he's healthy, although now as as we're going to get into, there's been a lineup shuffle. Like now, those guys are technically second liners, even though they're first because they're not getting the production. They're not getting quite as much ice time because you want the second line out there uh, more, and then that just drops down the production uh, that much. Where you know, and those guys start to press more because they're aware of everything that we're talking about. It's not like they live in a bubble where they're just out there playing their game and they don't know what's going on. They know that the, the talk is out there, that they haven't been productive. They can see it. Like, they don't need to hear anybody talk about it. They know that they're not productive. No, they don't need us to tell them. I think Jonathan Marshall is always the first person to point the finger at himself to say, I need to be better. I mean, you know, I like to think we know hockey a little bit, but these guys know hockey way more yeah. than us, so they know. Like, Jonathan Marshall knows that the extension he signed last year was because he was a productive offensive player. He's not on the penalty kill. He's not there to block shots and look great in the defensive zone. He's there to have a pretty shot that scores goals and, you know, creates chances for the Golden Knights. And right now they are struggling to do that. And I do think Riley Smith's injury 
had had some to do with it. I mean, they were struggling already. Uh, Riley Smith being out has certainly hurt. You know, we know that the importance of Riley Smith is is never really um, highlighted to the degree that it that it probably should be. Of like, he does a lot of the things that you don't notice that you don't really pick up on. The other players know uh, what he's doing out there, and him not being there for the last couple of weeks has certainly hurt. But I think a lot of this comes on William Carlson of having the season that he had last year, where nobody saw that coming. No, even the Golden Knights picking him up and you know putting him into a prominent role didn't think he was going to go from the production that he had before being here to a forty-three goal scorer. Like nobody saw that coming. Even I don't think William Carlson saw that coming. No way. I'm sure he had the confidence that hey, if I'm in the right opportunities, I can score. But he didn't see it coming. And the numbers, as we referenced so many times last year, told you that it was not sustainable. I mean, he was making. Basically, one fourth of the shots that he took. Twenty three point four percent was his shooting percentage last year. So they were going to that. You can't sustain that level. Yeah, now it's fourteen point four. So he's taken off about nine percentage points, which is still fourteen point four is not that bad of a percentage. No, it's just way down from what it was last right. year at an unsustainable level. So now all of a sudden he's more finding his level of what he might be as a player. I think he's better than this. He's still a very good player, to be yeah. fair. I mean. Point six, you know, points per game is still a very good player, especially because I think there's a lot of defensive potential in there. I think he's had a rough stretch recently, but normally he's a very good two-way yeah. player who can skate very well. I mean, it, he's a valuable player. And I think what I'm getting at is that that's exactly right, that he is a really good player, potentially very good player. He's not, you know, the elite players of the league at this point of his career, which his numbers kind of indicated last year that he was. So now he's finding that level of being really good. And it's just it's falling short of expectations, just like a lot of kind of the rest of the team. That's kind of just where they are. You know, Alex Tuck has been a guy who has exceeded expectations. He's actually making his contract look like a steal. Like they went shopping on the clearance rack for him, and he's way outshining anything uh, that they could have hoped. So, like those things are really really encouraging. But there is that concern of like, what are they going to get from the from the from that quote unquote top line if Carlson is this if he's a 25 goal scorer instead of 43 that that's kind of where they are and I'm sure that that is weighing on him uh in terms of the fact that he did not get a long-term contract in the offseason now he's kind of playing for a contract kind of gambled on himself a little bit and it's not really working out as well as he had hoped yeah so I think that's the big and I you know, hesitate to use a cliche but million dollar question because there are millions and millions of dollars at stake for William Carlson Every game he goes on the ice right now, because he's trying to play himself into a long-term extension. If I were him, I wouldn't want to go back to arbitration and settle for another one-year deal. Well, he might get a slight bump, but it's not going to be the bump he's looking for, and it's not going to be the long-term security he's looking for, especially since he was a guy who's already played for three different NHL teams, the Knights are his third NHL team. If I were him, I would just want stability. I would want to feel comfortable in my spot in the lineup, and I'd want to feel comfortable that I'm going to you know, basically get paid to be taken care of the rest of my life. But if you're the Knights, I don't think I'm comfortable offering him a long-term extension right now until I can figure out who he's going to be for the next five years. Because right now, I still don't know if we know, because as you said, I don't think he's the player he was last year long-term. I'm also not sure if this is who he is going to be long-term. I do think there's a little bit more in there than what he's showing right now. But if you're George McPhee, you have to determine that level now, or at least this summer, if you're going to commit to a long-term deal with him, and I just 
don't know if I would feel comfortable doing that if I were McPhee. Yeah, because, I mean, do the Golden Knights want – are we saying, oh, the Golden Knights just have to get rid of William Carlson? He stinks. No, not at all. No. But you have to weigh that – you know, you have to weigh that option this year of where he is and do you want to sign him to a long-term contract coming off of – you know, last year will be taken into consideration, and this year will be taken into consideration. He would prop if you sign him long term, he's probably going to get a little bit more than you would like, uh, based on you know this season because of the season that he had last year. So you have to decide: do we lock him up long term to a whole lot of money if this is this this is the kind of player that he's going to be? Which again is really good, and I'm sure the fans would look at it and say, "Hey, we want him around," but do you want him around at the expense of? Maybe some other top-level guys, you know, if you pay him a lot of money. I mean, those are the considerations that have to be made. It's not just, well, he stinks, he's out of here, or he's great, we want to keep him. There's a middle ground there that you have to figure out, and it's it's tough for the team and it's tough uh, for the player to be kind of in this situation of, man, I want to help my team win and do everything I can, but I also have to be productive enough what I can show up in that negotiation and say, hey, here's here's what I did this year. Right. And I do think the Knights are going to try to do everything in their power to make him more productive because, as we've said, there's probably more in there that you can get out of him this year. Right now they're trying to do that because they've shuffled that top line. They've put Valentin Zekoff, who is finally, kind of after about a month or so, getting consistent playing time. He's on that first line with Carlson and Marshall now. I don't know if I love that combination, but at least it's something different to try to get a spark. I think it's it's, it's intriguing in the sense of, you don't really know what you have in Zikov, except you've seen him be productive at the minor league level, like very productive at the minor league level. All of the tools are there to be very good. Now, can he turn that into production on the ice? That's what you're going to find out. And and I don't, I don't think it's the most ideal top line to have, but what I think it does do is does shift some potential production to the third line, which we've talked about all year has been just an Achilles heel for this team of not getting anything from the third line. Now, all of a sudden, if that top line did work out, if Zekov did breathe some life into it in some way, you've also got a third line that should be very productive. Right, and right now that's Brandon Peary, Riley Smith, and Cody Eakin. And that is a very intriguing third line combination because you've got Peary, who's shown a lot of offensive potential. You've got Riley Smith, who's kind of more of a solid all-around guy, doesn't have the flashy offensive tools, but he backchecks, he works really hard, and he can kind of cover some of the defensive responsibility that Peary might give up because he's not as great at it. And then you have Cody Eakin, who anytime you ask Gerard Gallant about Cody Eakin, says he's a great two-way player. He can do a lot of things both ways for us. And I think you've seen Cody Eakin when he plays with skilled players, like when he played with Max Pacioretty earlier this year. Cody Eakin can do some good things and create some good chances offensively. So that is a really intriguing depth combination you now have on the third line. And hopefully, I think the goal from Jorgalant is to have that line take a little bit of the scoring load off the first line so that Carlson and Marshall and Zekov can kind of figure each other out while that second line continues to produce. And now, while hopefully your third line, if you're the Knights, starts producing. Yeah, and I think the the production on the first line is very important. But the other, the other factor there is, as you mentioned earlier, the numbers have kind of flipped upside down in terms of goals allowed. So... Not only figure out their production, but figure out uh, their responsibilities and uh, their ability to to contribute contribute both ways. Because I do still think Carlson is a really really good defensive player, um, and you know there's been there's been breakdowns at times this year with his line, but I think he can be effective at that. And I think if they do start playing better defensively, it will help them find themselves a little bit offensively as well. And 
you know, and then if they get more comfortable, that will certainly help them uh, contribute more on the offensive end. And if you've got a third line that's productive, that will also take some pressure off of the first line of saying you don't have to be the ones, you know, it doesn't just have to be the first and second line producing. You're going to get some production out of the third line now, and now you've got four lines potentially that could be a factor, and that is definitely something Gerard Gallant has talked about. He wants to have four productive lines. He doesn't even want to say first, second, third, fourth line. He just wants four lines that are productive and he can count on and rely on. And if that third line comes together like it possibly could, that could be more of what he's wanting to do as a coach. Right, absolutely. And I'm very curious moving forward to see how he kind of plays with ice time here. Because we've talked about, I mean, the first line gets its name, obviously, because those are the guys that are on the ice the most often. Carlson and Marshall are usually up there in terms of the forwards, in terms of the times that they get on the ice. Does he start shifting the second line a little bit more? Does he start putting them into situations that he might normally reserve for the first line and cut back on that Carlson Marshall time a little bit just to kind of subtly send a message or try to light a fire there? That's what I'm kind of intrigued to figure out moving forward and to see how often he's going to work in that third line because obviously a guy like Riley Smith doesn't deserve to play just like 10, 12 minutes. Like maybe you might reserve for a guy like Ryan Carpenter on that third line. Riley Smith deserves some little bit of extra ice time because he's yeah. so useful all over the ice, you know, offensive, defensive zone, and neutral zone. So I'm curious to see how that kind of shakes out the next couple of games. I'm, I'm curious to see how long they stay with it. Like how long? What is, is this? What is this? What Gerard Gallant had visions of? Of you know, as we said, having those four lines that are all productive, and he found a way to make a productive third line potentially and that he just wants to go with this, or is this just Riley Smith working his way back to health and then he'll go back into the first line? Is it testing Zeke off and seeing exactly what he has in him to see if he wants to keep him and giving him the best possible opportunity by putting him on that first line and, hey, we're going to throw you out there and you're going to have some talented guys around you, and if you can't produce right now, you're not going to produce at all. So what is the plan with Gallant? And I think that is, you know, it's something that I'm sure he will not disclose or talk about. He has his own uh, he has his own plan or he has his own uh, ideas of how to do this, but I think monitoring that is is very interesting the next couple of weeks as well. How do how do those lines shake out, and what is his idea in terms of these lines staying together, or is this just temporary, trying to figure some things out? And I think we'll start to discover that a little bit more as they get back and play more consistently. And now they're, uh, you know, as we said, they're back. They're on this road trip. They're going to get home and really start to to build up some games here, um, just basically playing every other day for the most part. Uh, the rest of the season. So those are things to certainly keep an eye on. Uh, we're also keeping an eye on Malcolm Subban, who looks closer. He was in Tampa Bay yesterday, Monday, for practice. We seem to get on the ice a little bit. If we're, if I'm reading my colleague Dave Shane's reporting correctly, I think we are. I think we are doing that. Yeah. So he's getting closer to a return, which means, you know, the end of an era for this season. Uh, Maxime Lagasse, we hardly knew ye. Uh, yes, he did get the one game. He was out on the ice uh, in Carolina. It did not go well. Are you saying that poke checking the puck to the other team's player when you're 10 feet out of the crease is a bad idea? It's probably not a great idea. Are you saying having Aho beat you backhand on the sharpest of all possible angles? Basically, he's at the red line and he backhands the puck in off your shoulder into the net. That's bad. It's not ideal. That those two goals in a game that you lost by three because of an empty netter, not not ideal. It's probably not ideal. And listen, I, I I think he has talent. I think he certainly has potential. 
Um, and I'm sure there was a lot of nerves, to be fair, even a lot though we're making fun of them. I'm sure that's a lot of nerves making your NHL debut in a season in February. Yeah. That's a weird spot to be put in, especially because that's normally, I think, where we would have expected Marc-Andre Fleury to go on the first night of a back-to-back, and yeah. then maybe you play the AHL call-up the game after. But they went the other way, gave Fleury an extra night of rest. And, and I, I think it's I think it's a really tough spot because you are – like yes, you want to come in and contribute, and you want to help, and you want to be, you know, you want to be conservative as, as a goaltender for the most part, I think. But you also want to make plays and show that, hey, I can do this. I can be the guy. I want my turn at some point. I know that I'm not going to be your starting goaltender right now, but I do want my shot at some point. You know, when Flurry starts to get older, starts to move on. I mean, he is already getting up there. I want to be in the mix at some point, and. I want every other team in the league to see what I can do. And I'm not going to get a whole lot of shots, so here it is. Let's go. And I, I I, do think that's a very tough position to be in. And you saw I thought a lot of nerves out of him in that game. Yeah, and I would be nervous too if I were him. You're starting on the road. I mean, that's, as we said, that's a rough spot to be put in. And actually, let's hear from Maxime Lagasse talking about that tough loss after the game. Yeah, I mean, that's, I saw the guy uh, come in. Uh, in front of the net, and I just throw for the buck because he was on the boy. Uh, right to right to their D, and then uh, uh, collided with, with our guy. So it's, uh, I could have, yeah, obviously I could have given that and made the start of this to stop. Uh, but uh, those quick decision games, you know, make the play and uh, didn't go my way So it might be the end of his season, at least for now, it might be the end of his stint uh, with the Golden Knights. At least for now, as Subban gets closer, you imagine Subban activated Lagasse out uh, back to the AHL. Uh, they've made a couple other moves as well. We talked about, you know, Zeke has been around for a while. He's in the lineup now uh, with the trade of Hunt last week. Uh, we saw some movement as well. And now, uh, you know, Jake Bischoff being around. Uh, so the roster seems a bit settled at this point until Subban, you know, flips in and uh, Lagasse's out. This is kind of what they've got right now right we'll see because they still have to bring in nick holden's on ir that's why i got jake bischoff up for depth purposes will carrier who is hurt we don't know how he got hurt when he got hurt or what mystery that's all a mystery he's still out but i do think you're getting a more complete group in right now because right now you're just missing a guy who's usually on your fourth line a guy who's usually on your third defensive pair and so you can kind of fill in around that and still try to build some points here because, as we said, it's still kind of important, and they still have a chance to get back in this Pacific Division title race. What is your confidence level, though, that they're actually going to be able to get in there and turn around and really fight with Calgary after seeing this four-game losing streak? The confidence level in in them competing with Calgary for the division title right now, I'd put like a four. This team has shown the ability, not just last year but this year, to just get hot and just win a bunch of games in a row. I mean, they did it, you know, it was the big stretch, and it it was sustained. It wasn't like, hey, they won six games in a row. They won a lot of games over a couple months after Nate Schmidt came back. So they've showed that ability. The issue right now is that Calgary has not shown the ability to, to have, you know, long stretches of bad play. They've been good all year. And they're a team that for so long everybody kind of said, well, Yeah, they're hot, but they're not this good. They're going to fall off. They're going to fall off. They're not going to finish the season this well. It's the same thing people said about the Golden Knights last year, and it never really happened. So, you know, can Calgary keep this up? I don't. I don't think you can. You just automatically say no, they can't. 
Uh, so that's a concern. But then the other one is that, you know, while Calgary has been the dominant team in the division this season, San Jose's getting there right now. San Jose's playing really well. And so even if Calgary does fall off, the Knights then have to hope that they can, you know, can get ahead of San Jose and have them fall off a little bit. So I don't have a whole lot of confidence that this Golden Knights team can or will win the division. It's not out of the question, but I think the confidence level is very low. Yeah, so they're five points behind the Sharks right now, and the Sharks also have a game in hand. So the Sharks played one fewer game than the Knights. Let's say, yeah, tough, tough order for them to not leapfrog, not just one, but two very good teams right now, even with that home-heavy schedule coming back the rest of the way. That's, and that's the issue. If if Calgary continues to win at the level they are, and let's just say they win the division, they are, they're up uh, pretty good right now, then the Golden Knights, if they finish third in the division, which they are, you know, that's where they firmly are right now, would then start on the road against most likely San Jose, unless San Jose overtakes them, then it would be on the road against Calgary. Either way, you finish third in the division, you're starting the first series on the road against a really good team. That is a tall order. Yeah, definitely. That's going to be a tough place to play. It will be a fun series, though, so if that does happen, I personally would look forward to it a lot because I think that rivalry is fun, and I think the hostility these two fan bases are building toward each other is really fun, and it'd be very entertaining hockey. Both these teams play a very entertaining brand of hockey, so that would be fun. By the way, they so the Knights, as you mentioned, they've they've struggled against teams that are better than them. They've struggled against teams that are in top three positions in their division. They are uh, very poor against teams that they are underdogs against. Uh, one and eight, I believe you said it was the number earlier. Uh, there's a couple of games that have the the underdog has kind of flipped a little bit, where it's a pick 'em and then a slight underdog, but really as as a firm underdog, one and eight, and that's not good. I mean, it, it's good that you're not an underdog a whole lot. Right. That's an encouraging sign, uh, but. And again tonight, and as you said, we might be listening to this after the game, but they have a chance against Tampa Bay. This is a tall, tall order. This is a very, very difficult game. But all of a sudden you win it, and a lot of the stuff that we said is just kind of, eh. It goes away. It goes away. They, they, they get a lot of uh, energy. They get a big bounce, and they get to go finish the trip at Detroit. They could go 2-2 two and two on the trip. All of a sudden, that's exactly where you want to be, getting four points out of a four-game trip. And then they have all these home games coming up. So... A couple of massive games on tap. What you don't want to do is let Tampa Bay kind of run you out a little bit and then turn it into a loss against Detroit because you're still kind of feeling bad for yourself. So, you know, get focused, try to get the win, and then if you don't, you have to try to salvage the trip with that win at Detroit. That that becomes massive. You don't want to come home uh, on a six-game losing tr- losing streak with a four-game uh, road, road trip where you lose all four games. You don't want that to happen. So, a couple of big games on tap for the Golden Knights, and we'll bring it all to you here at the Review Journal and on the Golden Edge podcast in the mailbag. So tune in on Facebook, watch us uh, answer your questions there. As always, you can submit questions to us either here on the podcast or with the mailbag. Email Ben, bgoats at reviewjournal.com, or me, ahill at reviewjournal.com, or hit us up on Twitter. You know where to find us. And once again, Ben, the happiest of birthdays to uh, sir. Appreciate it. What are you, like 22? A little older. Uh, All right. So everybody wish Ben a happy birthday on social media as well. And don't forget, like, subscribe, comment, everything you do for podcasts, uh, do it for our podcast if you enjoy it. Or if you don't, give us the feedback anyway. Uh, Reviewjournal.com is where you can find all of our stories and hit us up on social media. We will talk to you guys again very soon. My birthday wish to all you people out there listening. Let's get up to number two.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.